Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of us being able to be here and talk about your work. And Lord, I know we're talking about business, but also, Lord, we know that it is your business and that we are just stewards of your, of what you've given us. Lord, we pray that today as we talk about your business and reaching people in our marketplace, Lord, we pray that only your will will be done, that our words will become your words. But most of all, Lord, we pray that all honor, glory, and praise goes to you and you alone. Bless us, Lord, and bless the, the people that hear this message, that they will be carried in their hearts and use it to your honor and glory. We ask in my name. Amen. Amen. Well, our first part of the lesson is we're going to have each one of the three people on this uh, on this uh, panel uh, tell a little bit about their uh, history for just a couple minutes so that you know what their business is and what they've been involved with and uh, where they are to this point. So we're going to let our president of ASI, Steve Dickman, uh, he's going to be the first one to share with us. Okay, it's time to tell the truth, right, Denzel? It's the truth. I've never taken a business class in my life. <laughs> Except in the school of hard knocks, okay? Um, I was raised in ministry, uh, in the supporting ministry field, grew up in supporting ministry, I finished a degree in engineering, went to, uh, went to work in the engineering field, um, and then God called me back to ministry. And when I showed up back in that kind of business, it was a surprise to me. When I say a surprise to me, I hadn't planned for that. I hadn't really trained for that. That wasn't my focus. But I learned very quickly that a couple of things. And that is that experience is going to be a good teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I came back to Harvard Hills Academy as, um, as principal first and then transitioned to uh, president and general business manager a few years later. And I've been there about 25 years doing that. And so... Um, my experience is, was never in business. It was more from the ministry side. But God has taught me some very interesting lessons over the years. And um, so that's kind of my experience of coming to this understanding. And, mm -hmm. and so I hope that maybe if there's a few ministries here today, something that mm -hmm. some of the lessons I've learned at some point might be valuable to them. The, um, you know, I would just say this. God leads in mysterious ways. It seems like that uh, the path he leads us on is not necessarily the path that we would choose. And so I've just found in my own experience, for instance, coming into ministry and having to think about and begin to learn how to manage a ministry from a, from a business standpoint. And if you're in ministry, you already know that, or you're not in ministry anymore. Right. <laughs> you have to manage things. They don't manage themselves. And so, um, but God is faithful and that he can, he can take us if we're willing, and he can teach us. Not always the easy way, but we do get taught. So praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Radim Passer. Good afternoon. My name is Radim Passer. Uh, you can understand, uh, you, you have to concentrate a lot to understand my, my poor and not pure English. Uh, I am less than uh, 3,000 weeks old <laughs> and I have to, I have to tell I grew up in uh, former uh, Czechoslovakia during uh, during, during communist era I was uh, non-believer and uh, in 1991 
uh, after Velvet Revolution in our country, I started my own business in real estate. Uh, and first seven years, I, uh, I did business as a non-believer. But then in 1998, uh, God changed uh, my life. I accepted Jesus as my personal savior, and it was the most important uh, change in my life and the Amen. best and the Amen. best decision which I uh, which I ever made. Uh, and from from that time, we are a little bit untypical developer because we are doing just one project, uh, but uh, big enough. Uh, this is about 100 acres uh, in uh, let's say good location in Prague. Mostly it is as a business park, but there are even other functions like residential and retail and sports center. And I can speak a little bit later about it. And uh, that's it, basically. Okay. Thank you. Ed. I never expected to be in business either. <laughs> I started out in the ministry and was committed to the ministry. and. Shortly after I started the ministry, I was called to the General Conference to work in biblical research. And that was a real shock to our financial system. We had always hoped that my wife would stay at home with the kids. And when we got to the Washington, D.C. area, we realized that was an impossibility. We had dreams of buying a home, and our friends were all buying beautiful paneled homes for $20,000 remember this is a few years ago <laughs> but nonetheless <laughs> we thought certainly if we went to 30 we could buy a house you know 50% more than my friends were buying homes for uh, and a realtor was happy to show us the homes and uh, you didn't need to open the screen door it was there was nothing in it uh, when you got out of the car you were afraid to get out of the car. You weren't sure if you'd be able to get back in by the time the neighborhood got through with you. So it was quite an awakening for us. And uh, so we realized that Anne would have to do something. So we started working on things that she could do at home. Well, actually tried three or four things without success. Fortunately, we didn't give up. And by the way, that's not totally uncommon with entrepreneurs to try several times. And then my dad said, why don't you try nuts? Now, that was a business plan that took us for 35 years. Why don't you try nuts? <laughs> uh, so we tried that. And uh, fortunately, the General Conference was working with us and went down to the General Conference during the noon hour and sold, I don't remember if it was pounds or dollars, but anyway, 800, whatever it was, of almonds and walnuts, all in the noon hour, in fact, in less than a noon hour. She got home and everybody was calling her, you know, we'd like more, we'd like more. And so we never dreamt it would be anything more than something to keep her home uh, at, uh, with the kids. But uh, we doubled every year. That's not too hard when you start with a small business, but we doubled every year. And, and at the end of eight years, our home was way too small to handle us. Uh, and if I have time, I'll tell about a government official that worked things out so we could stay there a few months longer. But anyway, then we moved into a warehouse. Within six or seven years, we had rented all the warehouses around us, so we moved to a bigger, whoops, bigger warehouse. And within six or seven years, we had rented all the houses, the, the warehouses around that, and we moved to another one. And 
in six or seven years, we were spread into 11 warehouses, which was, you know, inconceivable to operate that way. And uh, then we bought a property in North Carolina, which was uh, 200,000 square feet. And we thought this will last us till the Lord comes. And within a few years, we were either buying or renting the warehouses around there. Our prime customers were uh, Walmart, Sam's, Costco, and Target. Uh, if you'd taken those away, you would have taken away 90% of our business. Um, we sold in 2008, and one of the reasons I sold was that I, so that I could get back into ministry type of things. I don't know if we'll have a chance, but I can talk about that later if we get the opportunity. And then you sold, and then you... Yeah, right. sold, and and then went back into things I'd been doing before uh, with the General Conference and with other SDA institutions. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, I'm Denzel McNeilis, and uh, I started out in a family business and uh, where we started building concrete mixers and garbage trucks. Um, started as a small uh, uh, operation and uh, built our first mixer in 1976. My father started the business. He's walking the hall somewhere here, uh, but he enjoys, uh, he really enjoys uh, doing things today like one day churches and uh, creating uh, uh, different types of, of uh, schools and engineering and loves to create, loves to build and loves to create to this day. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so I went to work with my father and, and my brother. We went to work in the business and there were nine manufacturers and we were number ninth. And uh, we had always paid our tithe, but we always paid it at the end of the year. So what we decided to do instead, what we decided to do was that instead of paying at the end of the year, what we would do is we would put so much to tithe and so much to offering every product we sell. And at the end of every week, we'd have a big spreadsheet. That's how we did it. A big spreadsheet that we get from our kindness before computers and uh, a big spreadsheet that would tell us where every bank account was and what we had sold that week. And then we would put and then at that on that day, we'd have a line item. We'd put so much to tithe and so much to offerings. And when we did that, our business started to take off. And uh, we actually doubled our business in a year. Mm. And uh, so then we doubled our tithes and offerings. And our business grew immensely, even more than that. Uh, we grew, and there's all kinds of stories I could tell you, and I'll tell you a few of the stories as we go on. Um, we grew, and we got to be the largest mixer in the United States, mixer manufacturer in the United States, and the big largest one in the world. And then we went into the garbage truck business and became uh, the second largest in the world in that. Uh, we also were in the plant business, became the largest plant manufacturer in the world. Uh, just different. We were blessed. We were largest financer of, of mixer trucks and garbage trucks in the United States. Then he thought about banking, so then we bought a bank. And, um, and then uh, someone came along and decided that, uh, asked us we were going to go buy Oshkosh trucks, and they decided that um, they'd rather buy us than we buy them. And... Uh, so to make a long story short, we sold. We sold the mixer business, and I thought I wanted to retire, and that lasted for about two weeks. And my <laughs> wife looked at me and says, this isn't your office, and I'm not your secretary. Go get an office and go get a secretary. And, uh, and literally uh, uh, started, we, we had a small little bank, a Sterling Bank. It was uh, a $30 million in asset uh, uh, bank, and um, in uh, about... 12 years, now we're at uh, 330 million in assets. So the Lord is blessed. And uh, 
when we bought the bank, uh, there are two things that they, we said we had to do. Uh, I said that for sure, one was that we were going to be closed on Sabbath, and the second thing that we were going to pay tithe. And they said they didn't think that could be possible. And I said, well, it's not an issue. And they went on. And uh, my president at the time said, uh, you don't understand. He won't buy it unless those two things are met. And to my knowledge, we're the only bank in the United States that in its charter that's approved by the government that we can pay tithe. And uh, I really believe the Lord blesses. And, um, and uh, that's uh, just in a nutshell. That's a little bit about what we've been involved with through the years. And, uh, but the real reason why we're here is to talk about things that we have learned that we'd like to tell you about and uh, some stories. So, uh, Steve, do you want to start with that and tell us, some, tell us an instant of something that's happened to you that they would like to hear what you learned? Because you said that experience is the biggest education, and uh, I always say it's the most expensive education. Mm, that's true. Uh, but uh, there's things that we have learned, and, you know, and the thing I think is so important is that we can learn from other people. And the experiences that we had. I noticed that there's a gentleman in the audience that I hadn't seen quite a while, Tom Zapara. Welcome, Tom and Vi. Yeah. Um, Tom and I uh, go back. Uh, first time I met Tom was 29 years ago. And I tell you, I was so impressed with Tom. I actually, Tom and I would go for walks twice a year. And uh, him and I, and we'd bounce off ideas. And I, he was a gentleman that was older than I. It's, uh, you can tell a little bit, not much <laughs> older than I. Uh, <laughs> And I would just sit there and walk, and we would talk, and he'd say, so tell me, what's your biggest challenge? And I'd tell him what my biggest challenge was, and he'd say, so what are you going to do about it? And I'd tell him that idea, and sometimes he'd say, well, that's a good idea, or have you ever thought about this, or that's really stupid. You know, it, it depended on the situation, but the point is, is that he, he was someone who would be honest with me, who would tell me not what I wanted to hear, but tell me what, uh, what, what I needed to do from a Christian Adventist perspective. And I really cherish that and cherish those talks. And actually, Tom and I are going to go for a walk, walk while we're here as well because uh, I still cherish those talks. And I think that's the real, the key of, uh, of being able to be here at ASI and to be is to learn from our, our people around us and to understand that we are all working together. And, you know, in our business, we have opportunities to reach people. And we're going to talk more about that as time goes on. But Steve, do you want to be the first to tell us about an experience, an expensive experience that these people can learn from? Well, from the ministry standpoint, uh, for those of you who are in the ministry, I'll just tell you that um, I had to learn some difficult lessons in the beginning. You know, I had always kind of looked at, uh, at ministry, and, and for, for Harvard Hills Academy, we were a member of the Lehman Foundation. It was kind of a, an organization that was what you would call kind of the mother of the schools. And um, the Lamb Foundation would, was faithful to give and encourage the schools and give counsel as to how they should operate. And, um, and when I came back to Harvard Hills Academy, I saw a lot of things that needed to be improved. Mm -hmm. So I looked around and I said, you know, this, this is a great opportunity to, uh, to go to work here and see if I can improve some things. And so I made a list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still working on that list today, 25 years later. In fact, it's still in my office, and I have it in a book there. And every so often, I have to go back and look at that list mm -hmm. and realize that sometimes God doesn't work as quickly as we would like. And uh, he sends us into a process. And I think the process is mostly for our benefit um, and, and teaches us along the way. I remember in the, uh, the early days of my experience there as I had taken on the responsibility of being 
president, general business manager of the institution. My father had retired, and things were hard. And uh, cash flow was always seemed to be short. Mm -hmm. And in a supporting ministry, those of you who function in that environment, you probably can understand that or recognize that. And, um, and we had probably at that point about 60 employees and scattered over between the, we have a nursing home, 49 bed nursing home we operate. And you know that runs 24 seven and there's a lot of involvement. And we have a bakery, we have a farm, we have a radio station. So just a lot of things going on there and diversity and in addition to the school. And so uh, understanding how that worked and, and whether things were in sync or out of sync. And I found that we were drifting in the wrong direction. We were spending more money than we were bringing in on a regular basis. And you can only do that so long. And something's got to break. Something's not going to work after a period of time. And I began to struggle and grapple with how do you understand this? And, and how do you put your arms around something like this? And uh, with no business background, no, and never taken in a business class in my life, it was, it was kind of new to me. And I was struggling to understand what do you do? I mean, do you just shut down eventually and say, that's, we tried this and it was fun and it was good? Or, or what do you do? And so I went to the Lehman Foundation. I said, I need some help. And I showed them the numbers, what we were doing. And I said, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to do for sure, but I need some help. And some of you will know some of the names of the people at that point who sat around the table at the Lehman Foundation. And one of them was Edwin Martin. Mm -hmm. And so I gave my uh, my appeal to them, I said, I need some help. I don't, you know, don't know exactly what to do, but I do need some help. Something's got to give here one way or the other. And so they didn't send any money, but they sent, uh, they sent Edwin over. Mm. And so Edwin came and he sat down with me. And in fact, we, we went over everything. We talked about the numbers and we even went to the bank. He went to the bank with me and we looked at everything and talked to the bank even. And what the Lehman Foundation did at that point is they put a rescue plan in place. And they said, we're going to put a deposit in the bank that you can draw against for a line of credit. And when that's up, that's over. But when he left, he said something very interesting to me. He said, you, you've got to understand that this side of the equation has two parts. There's the income and the outgo. And you can't, the outgo cannot exceed the income or this isn't going to work. And so I sat down, I looked at all this, and, you know, I said a, a, a prayer of praise to the Lord because they did put that line of credit in place for us, and they helped us. And they, they gave me that valuable lesson. I said, you know, there's probably not a bunch of people out there who want to invest in the operational cost of a school on a day-to-day -day basis. You're going to have to figure out how to make this work if it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, then yeah, you're right. You're just going to have to shut things down here. But if, if it's going to work, you're going to have to figure out how to manage it so that, yes, it's true. It's, it's um, you know, most people, the donors will, will give to capital improvement. And, and they say, yes, I can see that you're building a building or you're doing something of value that bricks and mortar stuff. It's, uh, that's the easy side to raise money for. But if you're going to donors and saying, our ministry needs, you know, $50,000 a month to stay in business, it's going to be a hard sell. Yep. And so I went back and I began to look at the numbers and began to study things. And uh, the Lord blessed with some adjustments and, and uh, with the help of the Lehman Foundation, we were able to survive. And so then I said, you know, I've got to learn more about this. I've got to understand how this stuff works. And so I began to do a little study on my own. I said, I, I need to understand. 
how to really build a budget that's meaningful. I need to know where every dollar is going, and I need to know where every dollar is coming from. And so over a period of time, kind of by the seat of my pants and some help with some counsel from some other people, and, uh, and the, you know, kind of doing this, uh, uh, this thing with, uh, with experience as my teacher, I began to learn. And so uh, actually came to the point where we ended up with a balanced budget. Praise God for that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned how in a supporting ministry that there are just certain things that even though you'd like to do them right away, you just have to only do them when the money comes in. Yeah. And so I, I suppose it's really not that much different from a business standpoint. Uh, cash, like they say, is king. You have to manage the cash flow and you can't get ahead of yourself and you can't get too far behind on, on things or somebody's going to come knocking on the door and they're going to want what you have to take care of the bills that you've accumulated. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, over the years, God has taught me some very interesting lessons. But I remember that being very valuable lesson to me that Edwin came over and sat down with me and said, look, you've got to do something here to make it work. And if you don't, mm-hmm. You know, somebody else is probably not going to come in and pick up the bill. It's got to work on a day-to-day basis. And so that was probably one of the most valuable lessons I learned. And fortunately, um, even though it was a hard lesson, it was not the kind of lesson that results in the closing of a ministry or, you know, the closing of something that's been ongoing. So um, I'd say that's probably one of the most valuable lessons I've learned is that, you know, you have to work on the basis of real income and real expenses. And accounting is a wonderful thing, you know. Accountants, and there may be some here today, and praise God for them, but they can do almost anything with the numbers. And, um, and, and that's wonderful. But I learned that there's two numbers that are important. That's how much dollars did you receive and how much dollars went out the door. Yep. I mean, depreciation is a wonderful thing, and you have to take that into account. And uh, there's other things that are wonderful, but that doesn't pay the bill. Oh, it and, and you have to... So, you know, I figured out my own system. There's all kinds of accounting systems, but I made, eventually made my own little system that I knew how much was coming in, how much was going out, and I kept track of that, and it kind of helped me to stay on track. So. Amen. Amen. I know uh, Tom Zapara used to tell me all the time, he said, you know, Denzel, there's only two ways to make money. Either spend more than you make, or excuse me, spend less than you make, or make more than you spend. <laughs> That's the only two ways you can do it. That's true. It's true in ministry and it's true in business. Yeah. <laughs> I have to start again 1998 when uh, we lost our baby with my life, with my wife. Long expected, the, our only one, and uh, we came to Jesus. It was a changing point of, uh, of my life in, in my business. And one year later, my three very close associates from the uh, corporation stole my company. Hmm. So that time in 1999, I have we have no child and no corporation. <laughs> but uh, thanks God, uh, we dedicated our lives to Jesus, and it was shortly before our baptism. I believed that uh, the evil one will come with some test, with some trial. Uh, I, d- I just did know what it will be. But I, that time we decided with my wife, we will be baptized independently, which kind of trial will come to our lives. Mm-hmm. And in September 99, we were baptized, and 12, 12 days later, uh, the company was back. 
Amen. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I did, uh, I did also the contract uh, with God uh, in my heart, in my heart, and uh, I promise to be faithful in tithes and offering. Uh, I think ASI came to my life in 2001. It was also very important. It was ASI Europe in Prague. First time I've met with Denzel. Mm-hmm. It uh, it uh, it will stay in my memories uh, until end of my life. And uh, always uh, when I um, visited ASI meetings, I did some promise to God because I've got always some inspiration how I could be useful for God. We started to do some uh, evangelistic meetings and uh, go uh, go on in uh, in in time. I remember ten years ago, uh, 2006 in Dallas, it was a SI meeting, and we brought all the administrators of our Czechoslovakian Czechoslovakian union and uh, our three conferences, and the uh, real estate market was on the top that time. And we as a commercial real estate developer, we built the building, lease to the international companies, and then then to sell to institutional investors. In 2006, we knew we have two excellent products, two large buildings with a single tenant uh, blue, chip, uh, blue chip companies. And uh, I, I knew we will sell the products one year later. But uh, some, something inspired me uh, to promise to God uh, I will pay double tight, and, uh, and it means double offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, tight is tight, but offering we increasing during the time and the percentage, and uh, God always bless, uh, bless our, our work. And that time I remember I promised our union president I will pay. If God will, I will pay next year two tithes from our profit. Amen. And uh, I just can testify, testify that next year, 2007, in summer, it was the peak of the market. When we did uh, uh, 200% uh, profit than we supposed. And of course, uh, uh, that's why a lot of money I uh, could, uh, could be provided to the church and to the offering. And I was, uh, it was one of many experiences with God. I remember that time here in ASI, uh, I, I spoke about to, to build in our business park the church building and mm-hmm. also the Adventist school and kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Because no Adventist school and kindergarten was before in Czech Republic. And now, 10 years later, uh, we planted the church building. We have 80 to 100 uh, visitors every Sabbath. Amen. And in the kindergarten and the elementary school, we have over 200, 200 children. Amen. So we are very grateful to God. And uh, this is a lot of experiences. Uh, maybe I mentioned one more. Uh, in uh, 2008, uh, during my prayer, I've got a feeling that in 2015, maybe it will happen. In, maybe I will sell some business or something like this. Uh, and uh, it, it should be something quite important. And 2013, uh, because it was just two years before, uh, I, I, I did plan 
three days fasting and prayer, how to, how to direct our business. Because uh, we had, as a old Egypt, seven great years between 2000 and 2007. <laughs> and then, then came seven in the real estate, seven not so good years. <laughs> but, but thanks God, during the uh, rich years, uh, we did not spend all the money by some uh, risky investment. And during the uh, next period, uh, we still uh, went, things got quite okay. And uh, 2013, it was still not uh, too good in the market. Uh, and uh, end of the three days prayer and fasting, I, uh, I've got strong feeling and some calculation, of course. I've got strong feeling we should not uh, uh, continue in our business model in our business model. So it means uh, instead of selling of our, uh, our leased building, we will buy the building back which we sold in the past mm -hmm. in the whole business park. And uh, when I finished the three days uh, reading the Bible and prayer, I stopped on the balcony and I saw the rainbow as a confirmation uh, as a confirmation of this uh, of this contract, so it was very nice experiences. And now, during three years, we've bought. In in the past, we sold nine large office buildings. Now we we've bought back two, three we have under advanced negotiating, and another another three we are starting. So uh, I have just testified that God will always fulfill His part of our contract. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Ed. Yes, well, some things that we learned from business. One thing that I learned was speed to market. Uh, it wasn't necessarily my nature to uh, take care of things promptly and immediately, but I soon discovered that that was important in business. And I'll give you some illustrations. Um, we were working with Food Lion. This is when we were a small company. We were working with Food Lion and wanting to sell them some baking nuts. And we thought that they were very interested in what we had to offer, but they didn't call us back and didn't call us back. And so finally I called the buyer back and said, hey, what's, ha what's happening to the, the baking nuts? And he said, well, Ed, you guys offered them to us in a one-pound bag, and we can't sell a one-pound bag. Uh, boy, I wish he'd told me that. So anyway, I said, give me 10 minutes. I got back to him in 10 minutes with the prices for a 10-ounce bag, just like he asked. And right on the phone, he gave me a truckload for three, an uh, order for three truckloads of, wow. of walnuts. Wow. Uh, well, I learned speed to market. Uh, and I, I, that's, I, I kept on asking the question, how is it that we can be up against planters and, and blue diamond and and uh, the walnut company and so on and so forth. And so I began to realize with, with that transaction that if I can move quickly, I can outpace them. Because if they'd gone to, to Walmart, I'd rather to planters and said, we want a 10-ounce bag of walnuts, it might have taken them a year to get that through all of their administrative system and through the artwork and so on and so forth, whereas we could turn it around immediately. Then I had another experience which helped to, to explain why we could compete with somebody like a planters. I got a call one day from our pistachio supplier, uh, 
We had carefully um, chosen this pistachio supplier, felt that they were the absolute best in the world. And uh, in fact, we helped them with their roasting. Uh, we asked for a very specific roast, and at first they thought that we were crazy, but when we, our sales shot up, they said, yeah, we better follow on and roast our nuts the same as Ann's once their ro theirs roasted. But anyway, so one day I got a call from the seller and said, Ed, I've got a truckload of, of red pistachios out on the East Coast that I need to get rid of. And I thought, boy, this is strange. These guys never ship from something from California unless they have an order for it. Uh, so I asked him, I said, well, what, what's the problem? He said, well, it went to planters and they, they rejected it for quality reasons. Well, I knew this was the best quality company in the world and the chance that there was a quality issue with that product was almost nil. So um, I bought the truckload at a very nice discount uh, based on his description and also, of course, with the promise that if it didn't meet the description, we could ship it back. When that truckload got into our dock, I began to realize again why it was that we could, we could compete with somebody like Planters. Uh, about 20% of the boxes were open, and at least five pounds were taken out of each box. And then I figured out that's their quality control system. So, and the thing of it is, with that particular buyer, now I'm, I'm not putting quality control down, it's very, very important. But with that particular buyer, you don't need to check 25 pounds out of every box and 20% of the boxes. You can look at two or three and you know whether you've got a quality load or not. And then I started asking, well, what happened to the five pounds that are missing? You don't need that for quality control. Well, I'll bet you those went home with the workers. So I began to see again, you know, how their clumsy system was holding them back. Again, I'm not saying there, there may not be times where you have to do that for quality control, but in that situation, it was totally uncalled for. Well, the real payoff came for us just before we sold our business. We got a call from uh, Walmart, and Walmart said, we want to introduce your label. We were doing private label with them. It was under their label, not under ours. Of course, it's way better to be able to sell under your own. We want to introduce your label, 36 items into 1,000 stores, and they gave us a date, which was a totally unreasonable date to get it ready by. And so we put things into gear. By the way, my wife, Ann, just came in. Stand up, Ann. Ann of Ann's House of Nuts. <laughs> that was her department to make sure things like this got handled. And uh, we, were, we were on a fast track to get this done. Now, the reason we had to meet their deadline, it's not that they were being arbitrary with the deadline. They only set their stores once a quarter or their sections at least once a quarter. So what happens if you get there the day after they set the store? Lose a quarter. Goes back into the back room, it sits there, our product would be stale by the time it came out, and who knows whether it would come out the next time around. So, so we had to hit that date. Uh, now that meant we had to come up with artwork that they were happy with, we had to come up with mixes that they were happy with, we had to to get the, the printing done for the bags. We had to get the product in. We brought in from 38 countries is where we imported from. That had to come in. Uh, we had to process it, we had to package it, and we had to ship it. Uh, and so Ann went to work. She was on the phone with Walmart 
three, four, five, eight times a day, we became like a team with Walmart. Uh, and they would make suggestions, and we would make suggestions, and then we would we would come to a conclusion together. And we got that product into Walmart not just on time. We got it there about a week before they'd asked for it to get there. What was interesting, after that happened, uh, planters, they're a large enough company, they usually know what's happening in the market. And they should have had enough intelligence to know that that was coming into Walmart. But they didn't know it until they saw it on the shelf. And they were pretty upset. So they went to the buyer and kind of scolded the buyer and said, how come you didn't give us a chance to do this? And the buyer said, Ann's House of Nuts is the only nut company in the world that could have accomplished this. Mm -hmm. So it was very pleasing for us to have the reputation of speed to market and being able to handle even a request from the large, at that time, the largest company in the world from a Walmart uh, to keep them satisfied, and of course, to keep our product moving. Amen. Thank you. Well, my experience is a little bit different uh, from that. Uh, it's just, it's that's why it's so good to have different people on the panel. I'm going to tell you about what happened to me the first time. Our family had always given our, like I said, our tithes and offerings. Our family also, we were, we did, we we didn't mind borrowing money when we needed to, but at the time, we had no debt in our company, but yet we had a credit line. My father was in Bulgaria, and the, the communism had just fallen. And you could buy churches and houses very inexpensively. And he was over there uh, meeting with the church people there, and uh, they had ideas about taking buying houses and turning them into churches and, and do it at a very low cost because they really needed to expand the churches over there. So he called me on the phone. He said, Denzel, we, uh, we had this opportunity, and we need to, uh, I think we ought to, we ought to think about uh, making a big commitment to the church to help with this project over there. And I said to Dad, I said, well, you know, we don't have the money. But, you know, we have a line of credit. We can borrow the money. And it was by far the biggest commitment we'd ever made to the church, 10 times bigger than we'd ever made before. And uh, so I said, well, pray about it, and I'll call you back uh, tomorrow. So he called me back tomorrow. He says, what do you think? And I says, I think we ought to do it. So we committed to the, to the project. And so we committed to the project. That was on a uh, Thursday. On Friday, my CFO comes into my office and said, Denzel, I got good news and bad news. And I says, okay, um, tell me the bad news. He said, we have in, in steel, because you got to realize our plant uses a lot of steel. You know, towards the, when we sold the business, we were using about 100, uh, 1.6 million pounds a week out of our facility. And, um, and so we had this steel. And he said, well, we have this warehouse of steel in this warehouse. And I thought to myself, oh, no. And the amount of the steel in dollars was exactly the commitment we had made plus 10%. Hmm. <laughs> and I said... I thought to myself, I looked back, I went, leaned back in my chair, and I looked back and I said, Lord, what are you doing to us? You got, you know, we're committed to this project, and now we've got this amount of steel that I got to pay for. We don't have that much line of credit. And, uh, and uh, at the time, we didn't. And uh, then I said, so, okay, I got to have some good news, Tom. What is it? That's why I said to my CFO. He said, Denzel, we don't make these type of mistakes, but the steel is paid for. <laughs> we were able to we were able to make our commitment and never have to borrow a penny. 
by selling that product. I don't believe we make those mistakes. Yeah. I don't think we can. I, literally, we looked at it, researched it. We couldn't have made that mistake. It's just too big a mistake. It was too huge. And, uh, and uh, it just showed us as a, an experience that you cannot give the Lord. And um, now I'm not saying that, you know, if you, if, you're, if, you're, if you sell milk, you can't sell, you can't sell the cows. Don't get me wrong. I don't say that. But, you know, when you make commitments, it's amazing how the Lord blesses. And so that was the experience that I had that really made home to me that, um, that, that how important it is to be in partnership with the Lord and to commit to him. Another experience you were talking, I, I like uh, what Ed was saying. When I was in, uh, I went to Southern College for two years and took business classes. And I had a marketing book in my, my book and I was flying home. And I was sitting back in the middle seat of a uh, coach section there, drive, flying back home. And I'll never forget this. Man came up and he's mad. And he sits down next to me and he's slamming his briefcase, slamming everything around. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a fun ride home. And so he sees me there and I have my marketing book sitting there in my lap. And he, he looked at me and come to find out he was a VP of Pepsi. And he got bumped from first class and he was mad because he had to sit and coach next to me. <laughs> And I'll never forget that. I'm sitting there and there, and he said, Sonny, do you want me to teach you the, mar of all, teach you the secret of marketing? And I won't use the words he used because he's not an Adventist. And he said, I, take, take that whole book, throw it away, because there's only one thing you need to know. And I said, really? Okay, I'm all ears. Yeah, basically, I said it in a nice, polite way. And he said, uh, he said, give the customer more of what he wants and less of what he doesn't want, and you'll be successful in marketing. And I thought, wow, that's pretty insightful. And so that's what we started doing in our business as we started to grow is we would fly customers into our plant and we would fly one to five, one to five sets of customers would come in a day towards the end. And we'd sit them down in a conference room and we'd sit them down in a table and we'd say, uh, in a couch sitting area, and we'd say, um, tell us what you don't like about our product. And, of course, you know, we'd have the owner and the manufacturer and the, and the head of mechanics, and they would all be there sitting around the table. And, of course, if they told us something they didn't like about our product, they always had a solution because that's usually how they do that. And so we'd say, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a problem. How would you fix it? And they would tell us how they would fix it. And so we said, oh, that's not a bad idea. So what we would do then is they would start going through our factory. And so they'd take a tour through our factory, which would take about four to five hours to walk through the plant. And as they walked through the plant, my dad had a, had a, had a group of, uh, we call them farm people, who didn't know, weren't educated to where they didn't know how they could do things. And uh, they would actually, they, they actually got there. And we had an engineer there, and we had some drafts people. But we had a whole shop set up for this. And why they were on their tour we would commit it to metal, their idea. And we'd get the idea, we'd sit down and figure it out. Then I would go to manufacturing and I'd say, okay, what would this cost? And I'd go to operations and say, what would this cost? And how we'd get it on the plant? And what would we do for our line and this type of thing? And so we'd sit down for lunch. We'd talk to them more about what other questions they had. And they says, you know, let's go look at that idea you had. And we'd walk up to the plant and they would see a mock of it in metal on the truck. 
And of course, they'd see that, and of course, they liked it because they, it was their idea, right? <laughs> and so I'd say, okay, it's only going to cost you uh, $750 more per unit, and we can have it on your trucks in two weeks, and we can have it in your, in your uh, operation within three weeks. What are they going to say? Okay? And then the idea was, is because one thing we had a policy as a family, because, you know, we always talked, joked about our boardroom was my dad and my brother and I, is we would sit down and say, it doesn't make the product better. And if it makes the product better, we'd make the change and it'd be put into our line the next day. That's how we did it. We'd scrap whatever we had and we'd just start, because we always wanted to make our product the best it could be. And so it was a great idea. We'd put it into production. And, and so therefore... What happened was, is that as we went along, we'd make 20 to 40 changes a year into our product, but they're all our customers' ideas. So, you know, you'd go, you'd go out to New York, and you know how the New Yorkers talk. Of course, you know that now with, product, with the elections going on, you know how New Yorkers talk a lot more. Um, but they'd call up and say, you know, they'd start getting after you about your product and that type of thing, and then it, we'd, we, would, we would start negotiating, and that. And the guy would say, oh, you're too expensive, and you know how they always do, beat you up. And I'd say, but Lenny, you built this mixer. These, this idea is yours, and this idea is yours. What do you want me to do? And he'd just say some bad words and then sign on the bottom line and take the border. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the whole idea is, is that the real secret that we've learned is that you just listen to your customers and try to give them what they want, and pretty soon you let everybody take credit. Because I can tell you, even though there was an idea there, I bet a dozen customers, it was their idea, you know, that had this idea because everyone liked the idea for being the producers. And as a result of that, we were able to grow because everybody on there, a lot of our major customers, had ideas of theirs that was on our product. So they had ownership in it. And so that's the other thing I learned is that you just, as long as you keep, like my father always said, keep your ego in your pocket, you know, your profit in your pocket, and let everyone take credit, it's amazing what you can get done. So we're going to open up to some questions. Does anyone have a question they'd like to ask us? Yes, sir. My question is, uh, I came to Adventist about eight years ago, and at that time, the Lord puts it on my heart that it was time to sell. And I had at one time... Uh, passive income in about 13 companies and sold out, all, all except three. I am listening to the panel. There's a lot of wisdom up there. My struggle is that one of the companies I had, we, as an owner, I had to, Sabbath was a day of rest. And when I made the decision, I brought my key people in, and explained it to them, and I promised them that they wouldn't miss uh, a day of, it, usually Saturday was a big day, that they wouldn't miss out on any income. Uh, I want you to know that God supplied. Amen. Uh, but then I sold the division of the company, and one of the struggles that I'm having, and I'm just reaching out, one of the struggles I'm having when I sold that division I had to, one of the, in the contract, I have to stay on as a consultant. I set the perimeters as a Christian now, which was a, is a lot different from the world I came from. And uh, it just seems like the battle 
is is the battle is and then I and then my main company I have certain corporate clients the main battle that I'm struggling with it seems like on on a spiritual level how do you how do you keep from getting if I can use the word drawn back in I was going to use another word by the way mm-hmm. drawn back in to the world when your heart is really wanting to serve God and and it, it seems like it's a constant battle because I'll get calls from some corporations and they're laying everything out for you and then you got the consultant going on but I've set the perimeters about Sabbath but yet at the same time I feel I haven't surrendered all am I making any sense Mm -hmm. and I think the question is I want to surrender all and how do I at the same time fulfill the obligations do you want me to answer that I hope that wasn't too deep. <laughs> well, I'll answer. I'll answer part of that, and if anybody wants to jump in on it, um, you know, I've I've had that. I've had some experience with that, with the Sabbath issue, especially when it came to the banking industry um, and that type of thing. And and I've also owned companies where I've owned minority ownerships in them, and uh, it's been very difficult. I don't have any more companies where I'm the minority interest because I found that was too difficult to to work out those struggles. So I just made it a point that I'm going to have control, but that's me. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have control, or else I'm not going to be invo- I can't be involved in it because of the Sabbath issues. And and you know it's amazing how many times my employees agree with it, and my business people understand it, and uh, they actually appreciate it, and they want to do business with people that have those standards. It's not easy at times because it's tempting, but I will tell you. Um, I've seen it so many times. It's not tempting to me anymore because I've seen so many blessings from holding up. To give you an example, one time uh, we were doing a grand opening of one of our new banks. And when we, when, we, uh, when we did the grand opening, they forgot about the sundown. And we had a time change. And so in Minnesota, when you have time changes, it gets to be a problem. So all of a sudden, we say we're going to be open till after sundown. Now keep in mind, in my bank, there are two reasons I make every one of our officers sign an employment agreement. And in that employment agreement, there's two ways that you can be terminated immediately. One is dishonesty, and the other is working on the Sabbath. And I put that in my contracts. Because in banking, there's a lot of social things. There's a lot of things that go on in evenings and things like that. And I want to make sure our employees know that we do not want them to work for us on Sabbath. So they know more about our Sabbath than I do when it comes to the times, okay? So, so we have this grand opening, and we're getting ready, to, and all of a sudden, it says that we're going to be open till 5 o'clock, or 5, I have a 15-minute rule, so if we say we close at 5 o'clock, we close at 5.15. Or when we say we open at 7 o'clock, we open at 6.45, because I want to make sure that nobody gets upset if they come right at the time and they can go in. Or, heaven forbid, someone locked the door when someone wants to come in and do business with us. Um, but so a man comes, we had to shut down early and our employees didn't even question it. They said, look, we had a mistake. We know your belief, uh, but we're going to shut down early. We just want you to know that we may have some backlash from the community because we have this advertising and we're going to close early. So we were getting ready to close the, close the door, closing the door before sundown. And all of a sudden this man comes running into the bank. He comes running into the bank and he says, I want, I want to get in because we had this special program and everything going on. And, um, he said, I want, to, I want to put money in your bank, and I want to do, get the pro, special deal that you have going on. And I listened to my president talk over here, 
as I'm standing over there, and he says, I'm sorry, sir, but we're going to have to close, uh, but we're happy to help with you on Monday, but I can't take care of you now because uh, we have to shut down because of, uh, because of a, uh, a sundown and the Sabbath is, Sabbath, our Sabbath is coming on for our owner. And he goes, he goes well, what do you mean? He says, I want to put money in your bank. He says, look, you don't realize this is a lot of money I want to put in. He says, sir, you don't understand. It's not a money issue. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual issue and that it, our owner will not do business on a Sabbath. And he just got really kind of belligerent with it and says, I, you mean you won't do business with me even with this amount of money? And he says, I'm sorry, sir, it's not a money issue. I want you to know that. And he, he turned around and says, I want to do business with your bank. <laughs> and he is now one of our, he's one of our top five customers in our bank today. Uh, but, but it's because of the fact that we did uphold uh, our Sabbath uh, issue. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's not easy. I, I get tested with it. People will call me up. And I had one guy who says, I, I, I said, I'll, I'll come and I'll meet you anytime you want to go. I just won't do it from sundown to sundown. He said, well, then I want to meet you at, uh, at, at midnight on Saturday night. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll be there. I was there and he, he drove up he said, I never dreamed you'd be there. And he, <laughs> and he was another big, he found out to be another big customer. So, so you know, I, I think if you, if you it's, it's not easy, but I think, I believe that the Lord wants us to, to by, by being able to live up to our principles, there's a lot of people that listen to us. I'll give you another example. I don't mean to be rambling, but um, I met a gentleman the other day, I mean, about a, about a year ago. And, and he, I ran into him, and he was, he was a customer, he's a customer of our bank. And I met him, and he says, how are you doing, Denzel? And I says, fine, I'm, I'm doing great, and, but it's going to get better. And he said, so what's going on in your business? And I says, we're really blessed. He says, you know, that's right, you're a Christian. I've noticed that by your bank. You're closed on Saturday. He said, can I talk to you about that? And I said, sure. Well, I said, let's go, to, um, let's go to lunch and talk about that. And as we're getting into lunch, the first thing he says, you know, I've been reading up on your business your, your church. He says, very interesting. He says, you have, a, you have a prophet by the name of Ellen White, don't you? And I'm thinking, so how do you handle that? You know, here's a person you don't even know, and he says, you have a prophet by Ellen White. And I says, well, you know, we believe the whole Bible, and we believe that Ellen White meets the test of the prophets in, from the biblical standpoint. He says, you know, I've done some studying on her since I, because it took us about two weeks to make this, this uh, luncheon. He said, you know, I really believe there's some truth in what you're saying. I'd like to know more about her. And we spent the whole lunch talking about Ellen White. <laughs> and uh, so, so, so there's a lot of ways that by doing that, you can get opportunities to witness. Anybody else want to add to that question? You know, I was just reading in the last couple of days um, in, in Deuteronomy where God was giving counsel to his, his nation, his nation of Israel. And he was saying to them, basically, do not go into the land that I'm going to give you and make an alliance with the heathen there. And, you know, we read that and we think about it. And, but I think it has some application for us still today mm -hmm. as we think about even our business arrangements and, 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 and how we arrange things. And, and I think, Gary, I hear you saying that some of this you arranged a long time ago. And now maybe the Lord's convicting you differently. And that gets to be a tougher deal. But I think there's wisdom there for us still that we be really careful when we're making arrangements with people that don't believe like we do. And uh, I liked what Denzel said. 
stay in the majority position. Stay the owner, stay in the majority position, and then you can make the decisions. And it's not being a dictator, but it's living up to your convictions. Mm -hmm. our commitments and all of a sudden well I've been saved so so I can't I can't fulfill your commitment I think that would be an uh, a turn of events I, so what I've tried to do is sit down with them and uh, uh, explain to them and and then we kind of negotiate sometimes for their good sometimes for my good it all depends and uh, but fulfill the commitment I think is very very important on any commitments you make, no matter where you're at, mm -hmm. by keeping the commitments at the same time. So true. Is there another question? Yes. Three of you gentlemen have uh, achieved major sales of companies in real estate, and my question is, what tactics and strategies did you use that were effective? What did you learn from the process? What would you do a little different? Would like to answer that one. I hope I understand well the question, and uh, I think uh, very important is what Denzel said. Uh, we also always want to provide to our customers more than they are expecting. Let's say to be. Um, to provide some more advantages for them to create a nicer working environment than is common on the market. So that's definitely one of the strategy. The second one is always to keep your word mm -hmm. to the to the customers, Central. even if if it, it would if in yeah even if you cost the money. And uh, I think the most important change uh, during my non-believer and believer uh, doing business was uh, after my conversion, I was able to aware that a real owner of my business, it's not me by God. Yeah. Okay. That means I am just steward uh, and uh, God is real owner. I think this is the best strategy. I'm sure that's going to vary by business as to how best to market your product. We actually did very little advertising ourselves. In fact, probably under $10,000 worth in our whole history. Wow. Um, I was I was actually asking about I was actually asking about selling your company, not your products, but selling oh, your selling company. Selling your company. Oh, selling your company. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, start now. Talk to Denzel. They know how to do it. They did it. They did it in one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the agreement one day. Then it took us six months with lawyers to, <laughs> to right. make all the other things go through. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just prayed uh, f uh, to give to give wisdom from God. Uh, when will be the time for selling the company? Because I know and I trust, because Ellen White wrote, uh, any person, who, uh, any business person who will pray for it to God, 
God will show him yes. when is the time to sell the company. So that's why I prayed for it. But uh, instead of sell the company, we started to buy another, <laughs> another product. <laughs> so was your question about how to sell the company or what, how to decide when to sell the company? The tactics and thinking in negotiating the sale of your company. Not, not the timing, but when you got into the negotiation, the sale, what tactics did you use? What was effective? What was ineffective? What did you learn? What would you do better, different? Right. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure there are many different approaches that, to that also, and, and Denzel also has the quick solution. <laughs> I, I started actually 10 years before we sold to start informing myself on the process. And then we hired uh, an investment banker who that's their business, buying and selling companies. And they helped us start uh, getting ready for that as well. Make sure that your books are really in good order and, um, you know, have a story to tell for your business, why your business is successful, why the buyer should buy it. Um, and then they went through a process. They chose 100 different companies that they thought might be interested in our company. And they sent a flyer out without, without our name, but just enough details so that somebody that was interested could follow up. And I think from that they narrowed it down to 10, and then very quickly narrowed it down to, to three or four. And then we personally sat and talked to, to each group uh, for a half day and went through what we're about. And they met some of our, our administration and so on. Then we uh, finally put it out to bid with, with those and then chose, we didn't necessarily choose the highest bidder, we chose the one that we thought would be best for, for our company and the arrangements that they were offering and, and made a decision from there. Then, as Denzel mentions, then there's a huge process after that too yeah. to get to a final. Well, kind of, we had a little bit different experience. We actually thought that we wanted to sell our business. We had someone come in and make an offer, and we thought we were going to sell it. And it was up to two weeks before we were going to sell our business. And this was back in 1991. Uh, and, uh, and what happened was two weeks before we were going to close, a terrible article came out about our family and our business in the business journal. I mean, they accused us of industrial espionage. They accused us of all kinds of terrible things. Um, they showed a picture of my father on the front of a mix, up front of the magazine, and it said, "the the competitors fear him, but the but the people in town call him God McMoney." And that was the best part of the art. That was the nicest part of the article. <laughs> and 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 so, the financing fell through, and we were devastated. Uh, we had to defend ourselves. We had to hire uh, forensic uh, uh, people to come in and to, to do review of it. We had to. We actually put a lawsuit against the uh, against the uh, magazine uh, company. We actually won the lawsuit, and they we built a lot. We gave all the money to the church that we won with proceeds, and uh, we uh, and we were devastated. We didn't know why it happened. I will tell you, then, eight, then we'll go eight years later. 
Eight years later, we walk in to buy Oshkosh trucks, and they come in and say, we'd rather buy you than you buy us. And uh, to make a long story short, we did sell very quickly. And I will tell you, in that eight years, we gave to the church over 100% of what we would have gotten for the company in that amount of time, in tithes and offering. And we got two and a half times more for our company than we would have if we would have sold eight years before that. Mm -hmm. So my point is, is that, you know, there's sometimes the Lord will lead you one way and it doesn't work out. And I will tell you, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, the devastation and the work. The worst part we had was with our church, with our people in our church. Our, our church uh, members. Uh, I remember flying in Africa, seeing the magazine in one of the, one of the conference offices. Uh, you know, I mean, it was everywhere. Um, our business customers, I flew all over the country defending ourselves with our business customers. Um, we had faults, people that said a lot of faults. And finally, realistically, most of the time when we finally got to the interview, they would say, we'd say, why did you say that to uh, us, about us? And they said, well, that's what we would do if we were in their position. You know, it wasn't that we did anything wrong because we really we hadn't done anything wrong, except I believe that the Lord led us in that way. It was a, at the time it was terrible, but looking back on it, it was a real, real blessing. So, you know, so I don't know if I can answer your question that way, because each play, person is different in how their businesses work uh, and, and their companies work. But, you know, at the end of the day, the beauty of our of our organization and the thing that I want to make sure we leave with today is that each one of us has a sphere of influence. You know, my wife and I have made a very conscious effort right now in this time in Earth's history. We need to be very bold for our Lord. Amen. We need to really be witnessing to our customers because people know. I mean, look around us. Look what's going on in our, our political situation. Look what's going on with whatever alphabet you want to talk about or whatever the political uh, uh, thing is that's today and what's going on with, uh, with ISIS and all this other stuff that's going on in this world. That everybody knows there's a lot of problems. Yeah. And, you know, the advantage is as Adventists, we know the answer. And people are looking for it. And I believe that each one of us, I want to challenge everyone in this room, when we talk about things we can do to be better, that we can, that we can learn from, I'd like to challenge you to use your business to witness to others right now more than ever before. Now, I'm not saying get a billboard and do all those types of things. I'm saying there's subtle ways that we can witness. And people will, it's amazing. I'll say there isn't, probably every other day, there's someone who will come in and talk to me about Christ in some way just by ways of just visiting things, little things that I've learned from ASI members to put in my office and things to do. But I really believe that now more than ever, we need to be bold and be able to tell others about Jesus and his soon return. And uh, especially now, more than ever before. Do you have any? We've got we to gotta wrap this up in just a couple of minutes. Does uh, you have any last words you'd like to say, Steve? I would I would just say that I appreciate being here today and the I've learned some things myself, even from the questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say to those in ministry that uh, I think the key to business and ministry is probably the same as it is in business, and that's to really seek God's counsel in everything. Mm -hmm. I've heard that coming through in a number of the answers. Um, it, the, the Lord has answers when we don't have answers. I found that to be very true in my experience. 
when I think I'm to the end of what I can understand, the Lord can open something and I say, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Mm -hmm. But the Lord provides answers. And it may not be the rainbow you see, like Radim, but he may (laughs) give you something that bold even to confirm your decision. Because God is like that. He has answers for us if we really ask him. And um, I think one of the other things that's been very helpful to me over the years is the counsel I've gotten from other people. You know, you can think you know something, but when you go ask other people and you get their ideas, so getting counsel is extremely important. I know some of you came here today to ask some of those questions and to get counsel, but, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and get counsel from people. Another Mm -hmm. thing that I found to be helpful is don't be afraid to admit you got a problem. (laughs) Sometimes that's half the battle, you know, admitting you got the problem. So just a few things I'd encourage you with. I believe we are living in age of age of time, and uh, I believe also God can put us in some position in the business uh, to be His uh, witness. Uh, because uh, I have also uh, every week possibilities to speak with other people from business environment about God, about the. Uh, last events and uh, uh, I it's very probable if I sell my business now uh, probably I I would not be able to talk with uh, some people yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. yeah I'd like to kind of share what my thoughts were running our business uh, when we got new business and what our thoughts were around selling the business. I'd worked at the GC for 14 years and so, and was still active when I went in full-time with the business, but I wanted to be able to spend more time on the projects that I'd been working on uh, before I went full-time with Ann's House of Nuts. And I have a real burden for Adventist education and so the business part of it gave us access to the funds and and to the venues in which we could influence in one way or another Adventist education. Uh, and this is just some of the types of activities that I've been able to, to work in since uh, the sale of our business. I'm on about 15 different committees at the General Conference, and I'm not on a committee unless I feel I can make a difference there because it gets pretty boring to sit there in a chair for, for a long period of time. You, you have to have a purpose for being there. Uh, and I'll just mention some of these. The Faith and Science Council, by the way, that's, that's a fun committee to be on. It's a very creative committee. Uh, there are about 40 people on that committee, from scientists uh, to theologians to businessmen. Uh, we're working on strategic plans for, for the church uh, and... Uh, so it's a real privilege to be on that committee, and that committee does need funding in order to operate. It's partially funded by the church, but not sufficiently to do the things that we have within our scope. Uh, and so then that's the Faith and Science Council. The Faith and Science Council uh, is conducting up to 17 faith and science conferences this year in different divisions, and those will be 10 days, up to 10 days each, up to 1,000 people in attendance at each one. Uh, 
and so that's that's a lot of work to pull that together to get the speakers together to get the divisions working together so that we'll have people to listen people to speak uh, purposes to be there and so on uh, so that's that's in the works I'm vice chair of uh, the LNG White Estate. It's a real privilege to have input into what they do there. I'm on the IBMTE, which is our, the theological committee of the church, which gives some direction to education. Uh, I'm the Hope Channel Board, uh, uh, an advisor to the Adventist Review. I have a great time working with Bill Knott on various projects on Andrews University Board, Oakwood Board. And then years ago, I recognized that it's important for us to have a scholarship program for our theology people. Um, I was asking myself, why is it that they almost always choose a liberal when they're looking for a teacher for one of our colleges? And then I figured it out, at least one of the reasons, and that is that liberal is more likely to go and get a degree on their own rather than a conservative. So... When it comes time to hire somebody, the liberal slate is the only one they have. So uh, worked with several people on that, and, uh, you know, the Lord provides. They've worked with me. So we now have a scholarship program. We have well over 100 PhDs worldwide uh, who have been hand-selected and trained. Uh, some of these are even vice presidents of the general conference now, presidents of divisions, presidents of schools, and so on and so forth. So that's been a very rewarding program. And then a few years ago, I realized that earth and biological sciences at Loma Linda needed the same kind of help. They had the only program in the world where you can get a Ph.D. in biology or in geology from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. And it looked like that school was going to turn closed down. Fortunately, I found out about just a day or two <laughs> before that happened uh, and was able to start working with them, and they now have as many students as they can handle, bright students from around the world. Uh, we're soon going to start uh, graduating PhDs from that program, people dedicated uh, to the cause of God and to the, the doctrine of creation. Uh, and so... I'm really interested in projects that deal with biblical foundations rather than having a philosophical foundation for education or for theology, having a biblical foundation. Amen. And the Lord has placed us in a position where we can uh, have that kind of influence. So we praise him for that. Maybe some of you today are thinking about selling your business, you know, and how you would use those. I appreciate that. Taking the proceeds from what you've done and putting that, investing that in God's cause and His work. So, you have a business today. If you're here as a business owner, thank you for coming. I know that God is going to do something with what you've learned today. And He's going to send the Holy Spirit to convict you, maybe on a certain issue or to encourage you in a certain way. And uh, I just want to say that I believe that this panel is willing to get a phone call. If you need some help, some personal counsel, see us afterwards. I'm sure they'll share their wealth of information with you and uh, help you in any way they can. Um, you know, ASI is here to encourage business people to think biblically and to act biblically, not just to be uh, a mediocre force, but to encourage people really to think clearly about the way God would do business if he were here. 
And so we thank each one of you for coming today. Denzel, any closing thoughts? The only thing we'd ask you to do, you all have this paper in front of you. Before we have prayer, uh, or after we have prayer, fill it out and hand it to who in the back, Rusty? To this gentleman right back here who's raised his hand. Hand this to them. And uh, we invite your comments and suggestions. ASI always wants to try to have uh, seminars that you want. So please uh, tell us what you like and uh, maybe what you don't like you don't have to put on. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but no, but, but tell us what you didn't like about it and tell us how you'd like to see it change so that we can make sure that in the future we can have a, a, better, uh, a better seminar. So with that, Let, Let's stand. Well, we have our closing prayer. Father in heaven, we have gathered in this room today with a desire to know your will in regard to our ministries and businesses and, and how we run things and how we operate for you. And we're just praying today that whatever idea you have impressed upon our minds, we'll take it home and we'll not let it sit on the shelf, but we'll act on it. And we pray today for a blessing on each business represented here. Lord, just send down your spirit to encourage and to guide in each case. And Lord, may each one of us use the resources that you put under our management to your glory. And we pray today that you will take from this place uh, the business minds that are here and send them into the world to be witnesses for you. Lord, we know you're coming soon. And uh, like Radim said, you have promised to tell us when we should change, when we should sell, and when we should do these things. And so just give guidance and direction to us that we may bring honor to your name and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.